Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. They nicknamed the solar industry as the the solar coaster, and it makes so much sense because it seems like you're constantly dealing with curveballs coming at you from left field. Hey there, solar warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Oh, hey there. Welcome back, Solar Warriors. This is yet another episode with an amazing entrepreneur here on Suncast, and I'm honored that you're joining me for this fantastic foray into the world of entrepreneurship, solar energy, and life. Today's entrepreneur, Darren Golden, is the co-founder and CEO of Golden Solar, which is one of Florida's leading solar energy contractors. If you, like me, have been asking, come on, Florida, what's going on? Why are there not more solar installers? What's this all about, Sunshine State? Darren and I talk all about how he took a risk early in his career changing his position in the industry from employee to owner and how that journey has led to now thousands of active installations throughout the state of Florida and a phenomenal growth story for a young and super interesting founder. I hope that you'll stick around and hear all the insights that I gleaned from how Darren started and grew this company. And if you love this episode, then I would encourage you to check out almost 300 other founder stories and startup advice and tactical, practical insights at mysuncast.com. Hey, while you're there, we've got several things going on right now, events that I think you'd be interested in. So check out what's happening on the events tab and also check out our private community, the Suncast Guild on Facebook or the Suncast Circle. We'll be telling you more about that if you're on our newsletter. So make sure you sign up for the newsletter as well. And you can learn more about how to jump into the Suncast Tribe private community where now hundreds of folks are posting all about what they're doing in the industry, the jobs they're looking for, the jobs that are being posted as opportunities, and so much more opportunities for mentorship, etc. It's a community we've created dedicated to help you in your career, whether you're transitioning in or whether you're already growing through a career in clean energy. Hope that you'll join us there. But for now, let's settle in and tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Warriors, as promised, today we're hanging out with Darren Golden, the co-founder and CEO of Golden Solar. Golden Solar is one of Florida's leading solar energy contractors. They've done more than a thousand installs throughout the state. And he founded Golden back in 2014 at a time when many folks really weren't able to find traction with solar in a state that's predominantly burdened by the hegemony of Florida Power and Light and Nextera, keeping most of the solar for themselves, making it hard for Darren and other friends in the solar industry in Florida to make this work. The Floridians who have signed on with Gold and Solar are saving money day after day and protecting our planet, thanks to this civil engineer who turned into an entrepreneur. Darren, stoked to have you on Suncast. Thanks so much, Nico. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. And, you know, I want to say for those who are ever curious, does Nico source his guests 
by dialing for folks or how do people get on the show? Darren is a great example of being an intrepid entrepreneur who understands and takes marketing at a grassroots and guerrilla marketing level to reach out and ask for what you want. Darren reached out to me and said, I want to get to know you. I've built this company. I'd like for you to better understand what we've done. And what was it, Darren? Like probably within seven minutes of you starting to tell me your story, I was like, done, sold. Let's do an interview. (laughs) Yeah, that was a lot of fun. For sure. Yeah, it was, man. We had a really good conversation. I think we're going to duplicate a lot of that conversation here today. But Darren, I want the folks here to understand where that inspiration or inception moment first occurred for you. What, What was that moment in time where you had the spark that solar power was more than a career path? It was a possibility for you to carve out a space for yourself. How'd you get introduced to the whole concept of solar? And how did you decide this is where we want to focus what essentially is the rest of your career? It's been a really interesting journey to get here. I had always been into engineering, into problem solving, into diving in and understanding science to do engineering. I've always loved the bridge between uh, science and engineering and, and basically humans solving problems. And so when I was in college, when I was an undergrad, I had learned about the U.S. Green Building Council and certified green buildings. And so I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get into building buildings that aren't just functional as buildings, but also, you know, minimize the carbon footprint as much as possible. I had always tried to find my niche in the building space, you know, doing green in the world, trying to basically minimize the impact of our buildings. In 2013, I was offered a job as an assistant project manager to build a utility scale solar farm in North Carolina. And it was a sort of a dream come true. So I was already in Miami working as a project manager, superintendent for, you know, general contractors. And so I just, I basically just, I was so excited. I dropped everything, <laughs> packed up my bags. I had a, I had a beautiful apartment in, in downtown Miami. I, I left, I, I packed up my bags and I got on the road and headed to a small town in North Carolina by the name of Hickory. Furniture town, USA. Exactly, exactly. That's right. So uh, so I had the privilege of, of building a 20 megawatt solar farm. So my first time ever touching solar, it was 57,600 solar panels, single axis tracker, tracking the sun. Uh, and that was to power basically the iCloud. So it was, uh, Apple was the client. I fell in love with solar. I said, this is super cool. This is really, to me, like the keystone. This is as close to a silver bullet as we can get in the transition to renewable energy. I also realized that building utility-scale solar farms, probably not the funnest life because you're going to be somewhere that's not a populated city. You're going to be there for about six months. Then you're going to build another one somewhere really far away. It's really hard to you know settle roots and, and build relationships and, and, and call a place home. So I said, solar is it, but how do I bring this back to my hometown? And so after I built that solar farm, I said, I'm going to finish this project. And, and I moved back to Miami and, and basically said, I'm going to start from the very, very ground floor and figure out how to get my contracting license and, and just do it. You know, I was just looking back at the history of that North Carolina solar plant. They originally announced it back in, uh, what, 2012. Who ultimately built that project? Who were you working for? So I was working for a company by the name of Moss and Associates. Yeah, Moss Engineering right out of Fort Lauderdale. Exactly. Yep. So they're a large GC here in South Florida. And they had that contract with SunPower, who had the contract with Apple. Fantastic. So your first deal was 
a Sun Pirate deal for Apple. I'd love to hear before we get back into your desire to move back to Florida. What was your experience turning wrenches on that solar farm? Kind of what was your role? But then where did you see gaps or what, what disenfranchised you to make you say, I, I don't really want to be sitting here in Hickory. I want to get back to Florida and try this on my own. So, so my role was the assistant project manager. So I was number two after the project manager, the project manager, the brilliant manager, brilliant construction manager. And so he focused on scheduling. When I came in, all the, the contracts for the subcontractors were already written. And that project had subbed out the electrical scope. The metal erection was done in-house by, by Moss's own you know, construction workers. Uh, so for me, as an assistant project manager, I helped fetch a bunch of information from the field. We were keeping track of basically progress, structural progress, electrical progress, maintaining meetings with subcontractors, maintaining meetings with the uh, owner and architect, keeping logs of all the plans and, and RFIs and change orders and keeping monthly reports for for the uh, you know top end staff on, on, on the GC side. So kind of your job was to make sure everything that was written got done. Basically, yeah. And, and bring information from the field back into the office and you know, just keep track of everything. First of all, for folks who don't know Moss, Moss is one of the most well-respected contractors, not only in the solar industry, but in the building industry, built the Marlins Stadium, as an example. Like, this is no fly-by-night organization. They have a very, very, very uh, reputable organization headquartered in the state that you wanted to live in. Yet, it seems to me like something about the role being second in command on the on the site where you're getting to build one of the at the time, one of the most important projects in the, on the globe, not just uh, in the United States. But your mind was somewhere else. Yeah. So, so I was really enjoying what I was doing. I was finding it very rewarding. But something said to me that I wasn't necessarily needed there in the sense of somebody that believes deeply in transitioning to renewable energy. It, it to some extent, felt like, okay, this is a contract that... Apple needed to build a solar farm, so they reach out to SunPower, you know, uh, the leading uh, solar panel efficiency manufacturer, and they they reach out to GCs. It seemed to me like this was going to happen with or without me. So I found it really rewarding, but I said, where can I bring my enthusiasm for solar? And that's where basically I realized that rooftop solar was really undeveloped in Miami at the time. And that's where it dawned on me that if if I bring my technical uh, skills to to Miami, then I can actually help create rather than just be another you know bolt in a machine. I think that's where I was coming from saying, uh, I'd love to be part of this organization. This is super rewarding. I'm, I'm learning a ton here, but how can I you know, use my uh, inspiration and, and, and my drive and, and my will to, to push the needle on the sustainability front? And that was, okay, I'm just going to start something you know, grassroots. I'm going to meet homeowners and I'm going to meet environmentalists and I'm going to basically help show that it pencils out and, and demonstrate the, the viability of solar for rooftop. So you wrap that project and you pack your bags and head back to Florida with what in mind? So I knew, you know, very little, there was very little to know back then because it was so, uh, it was so early, you know, for the Florida market, but I had done a little bit of research and in my research, I found out that Florida has their own designation for a solar contractor, just like they have a electrician and, you know, roofing licensed roofing contractors. So I knew I needed to get this solar license. Other than that, uh, at the time, FPL had a $2 a watt rebate, which, you know, the, the average 
price of solar is getting sold for $4 a watt at that time. So it, it seemed to me like the utility is giving away half the price of a solar system. And then the federal government is, is assisting in 30%. So it seemed to me like solar is basically almost completely covered. Uh-huh. And with those assumptions, I went back to Florida and you know bought all the contracting books and went to Starbucks for 12 hours a day, basically reading code books. Things aren't always what they seem, right? Uh, I've heard so many folks get into the industry because they saw that this is the next industry to boom. It seems to be, you know, the next sort of trillion dollar industry and there's rebates to boot. This is basically free to the homeowner. Did you discover any roadblocks along the way that sort of uh, that slowed the business plan down, given that you're part of your plan, as I just heard it was, oh, there's this $2 watt rebate. How hard could this be? Let's just put a team together and go and go tell homeowners how to, how they can have free solar. You're spot on. So the first time that basically the FPL $2 watt rebate was an annual offering and there was a, a certain amount of money in X dollars to give away to people. And what I hadn't realized was that it was basically a lottery. I had assumed that this was money that was available for anybody that wanted to do solar. And all it took was a solar contractor to say, hey, you should really do this. There's a lot of money available for you to get this system for almost free. What I'd come to learn was that it was like a lottery. I I don't remember what day it was that it had opened up. It was supposed to open up at eight in the morning and it had a very particular procedure on how to reserve the funds for a project. And we had about 80 clients lined up who had given us their credentials to log into their account, their FPL account, and you know reserve the rebate for them. And so on the morning that the rebate opened up for people to start booking their reservations. I think that it actually opened up five minutes early because of some bug or glitch or something. And by the time it was actually the time that it was supposed to open up, all the money was gone. We were able to reserve none of it. And the few times that we were able to log into the portal and going through the application, it crashed. And basically, you know, everybody had poured into the you know web uh, interface into the server and it just couldn't handle the traffic. Man, if I've heard this story once, I've heard it a hundred times. It's the same story for the California Solar Initiative back 2006 when I started my solar company. And if we really think, I know that you probably have your suspicions and conspiracy theories as well, that it didn't actually glitch and open five minutes early. Be that as it may, you know, so many business plans are built around access to these kinds of funds to essentially liquidate the friction for the clients, right? And a lot of anticipation and hope. We saw it recently in markets like Illinois. You miss out on the rebates, but you've got this business plan. You've staked your career now. You're going forward. Help me understand how you took a step back. Take me to the moment in time where you realize you didn't get any of these rebates and you have a discussion with your business partner about what to do next. Maybe you want to introduce your business partner here at this point and and how you guys got together and how you'd work through what do we do now that we can't offer our customers the promise. So my business partner is uh, Joe Cataldo. And we met at a place called US Solar Institute, which was like a training school. Another, Another famous Johnson. That's right. That's right. So it's a, it's a tr- technical training school for people to learn how to physically install, you know, solar systems. And so 
I enrolled there because I didn't want to be the kind of boss that has no idea what he's talking about when he's giving instructions to his installation team. I wanted to, to really know how to install systems myself. I mean, physically turn wrenches myself. And so I, I enrolled in the U.S. Solar Institute. And by the time I was taking the class, I had already passed my licensing exams, my technical solar exam and the general business exam. I hadn't had the, the license yet because I had to build up the experience. Uh, but I took the course and, and I met Joe Cataldo, who was managing the warehouse because they also did some distribution. And he also gave some of the classes. Oh, he was at U.S. Solar with Ray. That's right. Yeah. So he was he was uh, instructing on some of the more complicated stuff. He was instructing on the uh, battery backup side. And, and, and we talked and, and we hit it off. We realized that, that we really, uh, you know, shared the same vision. We, we realized that, that we were both pretty sharp. And I, I was very impressed with Joe. And I thought our, our backgrounds really complement each other pretty well because I had a bachelor's in structural engineering, a master's in construction management, about six years working for general contractors as a superintendent, project manager. I understood the construction aspect. And, and Joe did his thesis on like microprocessors and, and really kind of like an electrical guru. So you've got credibility, you've got industry experience, and you've got no rebates. Right, right, exactly. So we we had some of the puzzle pieces. You know, I'll never forget that morning. We were just we were just so disappointed because probably for two months uh, leading to that moment, we were drumming up so much business. I mean, that was going to be our big break into the industry. Uh, like I said, we had 80 clients. We had 80 you know, account login credentials to go and reserve the rebates for all these people. And, and all these people gave us that information basically saying, I'll sign a contract with you contingent on, on your ability to you know, reserve this free money. And that morning, we got not a single one of them. And we basically looked at each other and said, all right, we got we to gotta reassess. It seems like this is just a lottery. This doesn't seem to be something that's going to be uh, you know, readily available. And, and that's what we did. We went back to the drawing board and we said, it's going to be up to us to demonstrate to our clients that we can give kilowatt hours for less money than, you know, than the baseline. Bringing us back in time, this is 2014, roughly. How many solar companies at that time in Florida? How many megawatts installed total in the market? I don't know about the total megawatts, but definitely the majority of it, you know, was was going to be ground mount solar farms. In Miami, I can probably think of maybe two or three companies that were around back then. And it, it blew my mind that a city like Miami, a city that's, you know, supposedly so cutting edge and you know, I don't know that, that Miamians were very green back then. I think people just cared about driving a sports car and living in a tower. So that was my mantra back then. It was like that green is the new gold. And what I meant by that is that the future sort of luxurious thing to for people to to be interested in isn't going to necessarily be a Ferrari and living in a penthouse. It's going to be living, you know, an eco lifestyle and, and being, uh, you know, conscientious of, of the carbon footprint. I just felt like this is the future. This is what people are going to be into. And with that in mind, we just jumped in in Miami. Most of the listeners of Suncast know that I lived in Miami around this time. I was working for Conergy exclusively on utility scale projects uh, throughout the US and Latin America. There were almost no credible, certainly not like statewide organizations. Uh, you know, you had a few folks the guys that are now Urban Solar, the guys uh, at ESA that also changed their name, a handful of folks up in uh, Tampa. It was really scattered. There's a couple of folks up in Jacksonville, but it was really like two or three per, we'll call it region, the advanced roofing guys, 
Um, and it was in large part con- contractors who had started to figure out and had architect clients that had started asking for solar for their residential or for their commercial clients. Given that there was you know, relatively little competition, but also relatively little uh, market for you to attack, how did you and your partner, Joe, decide where you were going to spend your time and effort? And what tools from your previous roles do you feel like really empowered you to grab the market share that you did? As, as far as tools from, from previous roles, I think that ha- having a background in engineering, for both myself and for Joe, helped us kind of move up in terms of the quality of the builds that we were going to do. We, we didn't just randomly pick panels. We didn't randomly pick which inverter and, and which racking. It's, you know, it was having a background in structural engineering that gave us the ability to pick what we thought the most appropriate rails were. Joe, having a background in microelectronics, uh, gave him the ability to understand why SolarEdge was was such an amazing uh, in, inverter. And so that was something that we were able to rely on our, on our background for. But other than that, I basically think that to some extent, I got to retool my my skill set because with a background in in engineering and construction management, I had never done anything like sales or marketing. I was the guy that the job had already been sold. Here's the set of plans. You know, go build this this building with your subcontractors. And so it, it was all new to me, and uh, and and I enjoyed uh you know developing those tools a lot, going to networking and, and environmental organizations, and making a case for for the product that we thought people needed to to get on board with. And then as far as the market, I just got this feeling like you know Miami is is supposed to be on the cutting edge. And why isn't solar part of that? And I knew that the answer back then was solar is for hobbyists, solar is for hardcore hippies and tree huggers. It just was disassociated with the trendy now cool thing to do. This is the perspective in the market. Correct. Correct. Yeah. It, you just didn't see solar a lot. And the average Miamian wanted to drive a fancy sports car and, and live in a, in a tower and, you know, like a penthouse in, in Brickle or something. But but back then, uh, driving a Prius certainly wasn't sexy. You know, I guess there was some Tesla Model S's on, on the road, but uh, it just it just was way too early. And I, I, and I think I probably looked at Tesla for inspiration to understand that what Tesla did is bridge the gap between cool and green. And Tesla made green cool. And I felt like if, if that could have been done for electric cars, which previously were kind of dorky and and not sports cars, why couldn't that also be done for for solar? So our first round of clients were people that we met in the environmental space. And these are people that probably dreamed of going solar and just lacked a provider to, to do that with. So that was kind of an easy start. And back then, solar was sold for $350 a watt, even $4 a watt, because that's just how much materials cost. And so back then, it wasn't really penciling out, but it took some time for material prices to come down a little bit and, and for us to get a certain economy of scale to be able to bring our prices down to the mid twos where it really did pencil out. But for the first few years, it was for people that said, I don't care if it's a 12-year return. I really want to do this. Hey, Darren, to tag on to that, how did you find these customers? How did you think about marketing as a startup? with a, a limited runway and very few sort of market resources to help get you to that break-even point where customers would say they're ready to go, as you just described. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, that was the thing. I had not taken a single uh, marketing course in college and, and knew very little about marketing. But I, I guess I was just thinking from my own perspective as somebody that really cares about uh, environmentalism and, and our planet, I said to myself, if I was a homeowner, I would love to put on a solar system on my house and offset my carbon footprint. So I wasn't thinking in terms of, you know, glossy flyers and, and marketing videos and, and all the things that marketing people think of. I was thinking just in terms of community and what what's the product that I want if, if I'm a homeowner. And so I got myself involved in various environmental organizations. And, and it was so rewarding back then to do this because it didn't feel like your traditional service provider consumer relationship. It felt more like we were two environmentalists that are doing a project together to help offset somebody's uh, energy needs with solar. I see. I see. So you positioned yourself as an ally, a fellow environmentalist, someone who will help them navigate the uncertain world that is going solar, doing this super green thing. Were there characteristics like they're a Prius driver? How did you identify those customers? I remember that uh, I went to a Sierra Club uh, meeting and, and talked to one of the organizers there and told her that I have a solar company and asked her if she thought that a solar presentation to the group would be interesting. And, and she said, absolutely. We'd love if you wanted to give a PowerPoint presentation about solar. And and back then, I really wasn't speaking so much from the perspective of a seasoned installer. I had basically just gotten my license. Back then, I was speaking from the perspective of someone that had just read all the solar textbooks while learning to be a solar installer. And I basically explained how solar works and, and how the economic model works and basically all the puzzle pieces. And, and and, and that helped bridge the gap for people that were homeowners that would have loved the idea of, you know, transitioning to solar, but just didn't understand any of the puzzle pieces. And, you know, I, I really back then it was all about education. I was going to say, and it helps that you were partnered with someone from uh, U.S. Solar who had done a high level of education. It's not unlike what we see today. The predominant sell solar online model is educate first, right? Yeah. It's to help them understand what they don't understand about this business. That's a great way to put it. I mean, I think back then about how conversations went in, you know, the residential sales call, the residential sales pitch. Basically, you're sitting down with customers and they're looking at you like, oh, so this is going to heat my swimming pool, right? And, and you have to take a hundred no. steps back and say, no, 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 no. That's solar thermal. This is solar photovoltaics. We're going to convert sunlight into DC power and then we're going to change it into AC power and you're going to get a net meter from the utility. So it was such a comprehensive education session. At the end of it, they were like, all right, you clearly know what you're talking about. I think I feel comfortable signing a contract. Hey, I bet you are trying to figure out how do I follow along with what's happening with Solar Power International this year. North America Smart Energy Week 2020 is just days away. And I've got great news. We are going to be doing a weekly roundup. That's right, a recap. If you're familiar with the work we did last year at the Podcast Lounge, we have doubled down again with the sets, folks. And we're bringing it to you every Friday for the next seven weeks. Go to mysuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. That's SPI 2020. It's going to be lots of fun. Go check it out. There's even prizes. You don't want to miss it. MySuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. Hey there, commercial solar warriors. If you listen to this show, then by now you're very familiar that Extensible Energy's DemandX load flexibility software helps close more deals and faster by shifting to lower time of use rates and saving your customers 30% annual demand charges, all at a tenth of the cost of battery-based solutions. But did you know 
that Extensible also has a new Solar Partner Loyalty Incentive program that rewards your sales team with a generous sales bonus. Well, for now, until the end of the year, when you complete just three successful DemandX installs, your sales team member will get a $2,500 check or vacation voucher for when we all do get to travel again. This program also applies to your past customers who already have solar and could benefit from DemandX extra savings. Just contact Extensible Energy at extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast to become a DemandX reseller and get all the program details and benefits for yourself. Again, that's extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast. What a difference it has been to see then versus now. I mentioned you guys have done thousands of systems. You're uh, one of the highly respected installers in South Florida, maybe all of Florida. You've done subcontracting work for most of the big guys in uh, the industry. What would you say has been the most difficult thing about getting to the place where you're at now, where there's general market acceptance, you get referrals, you've got a machine, uh, well-oiled machine built? Yeah, it definitely didn't happen overnight and it didn't happen by, you know, just happenstance. It it took a lot of hard work and, and a lot of sweat, blood and tears. I think that if I had to just kind of hone in on one thing that that makes the the solar business so difficult it's just it's it's sheer unpredictability they nickname the solar industry as the the solar coaster and and it makes so much sense because it it seems like you're constantly dealing with uh curved balls coming at you from left field so uh hurricane Irma was, you know, like a Cat 5 hurricane coming right towards Miami. And we had to deal with that. We had a lot of ongoing projects all around the state. In that same year, in 2017, the Florida Department of Business and Professional Regulation, in other words, the the licensing uh, board, decided that a solar license by itself was no longer sufficient to do a solar project. You now also had to have an electrical contracting license. And so we had a solar license back then, which used to be enough to do a turnkey solar job. And so, you know, it was almost like in a drop of the hat, we had to scramble and figure out how to get our electrical licensing needs covered. There was uh, Amendment 1 in the 2016 general election, which took a shot at, at net metering and, and almost almost passed. So what would you say then as a... As a process-oriented engineer deciding to stand up a company, becoming a CEO, what's your number one headache as an entrepreneur? I would say that the number one headache is... That, that's a tough one. I, I, maybe just the, the lack of knowledge uh, of the industry. So when we were starting out, we had to do a lot of education, not only for the customers so that they understood the product that we were, that we were selling to them. We had to do a lot of education for plan reviewers, inspectors who had no formal training in solar. I mean, maybe they had formal training in reviewing electrical plans, but we'd have to explain to them why uh, a supply breaker is different from a load and, and why certain rules apply in different ways. Yeah, it's it's a really important point. I, fa- I feel like a lot of folks who get into the business because they see stars and they see that there's a lot of potential margin in the, in the, in the operational side, or rather in the sales side, they lose sight of just how operationally difficult this can be because in fact not only is it a construction business at the end of the day but it's a construction business that has processes that are still not ironed out and and specced into a lot of the code and certainly back then back 2006 to call it 2018 a lot of the new codes are trying to handle that and we've worked very diligently 
to get to that point. But I, fo- I feel like a lot of folks underestimated the level of headache just pulling a permit would create <laughs> in their world. Yeah, we used to joke that we're not a construction company; we're a permitting company with a construction branch, because it like the the majority of the headache was getting that permit and closing the permit. Uh, once we had it, the installation was super smooth, and the customers were thrilled. Uh, but we had to explain every aspect of the project to the inspectors and the reviewers. It was almost like they put the burden of of training their staff on us and basically kept the permits hostage until they had all their questions answered for their own knowledge. Tell me something that's true for you that very few people would agree with you on. Well, one thing that I'd say here is probably our motivation and our reason for doing this. Uh, We got into the solar industry because we wanted to offset uh, people's carbon footprint and fight climate change. And I, I think that this is probably something that's true for us that may be true for a few people, but you know, sometimes it doesn't seem like it's the case for the majority of folks. It seems like the majority of folks are uh, coming into the solar industry to jump on a bandwagon uh, because they see a trend. They think that it's the next gold rush. And, and I get it. I get that. To me, this industry is so much more than you know being at the right time at the right place or, or you know some, something similar to the dot-com boom. I mean, to me, this is similar to transitioning the world to renewable energy. And our same motivation for doing this back in 2014 is is still true today. And it's why we pick the materials that we pick. And it's how it's it's why we do everything the way that we do it. So maybe that's uh maybe that's a controversial stance, but that's that's where we've always come from. Well, you do a few things that might be considered controversial because in a market where more and more of the vertical, the verticalization or value chain of solar is being disaggregated top to bottom. You are a vertically integrated company, you know, from prospecting and closing a sale to maintenance at the back end after you've interconnected a customer's project. I would say that you definitely stand out in the market in that regard. And it helps you position your marketing for the kinds of clients who value that engineering minded QAQC. Uh, filter and a company who uh, has been around and is going to be around and isn't jobbing out or subbing out uh, their quality to some other uh, some other company. Uh, there are certainly clients in the market that look for that. Yeah, yeah, I would agree, and that's been a major selling point for us. Uh, it's it's not it's not like we were doing it for the sake of doing it. It's we were doing it because we just really wanted to be very particular about our quality. I mean, when we put our uh, you know stamp on it, when we put our signature on it, it has to be a certain way. And yeah, I mean, we 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 saw companies coming from out of state, and they were just sales and marketing companies looking for, you know, an installation partner. But I think one thing that's true for the, for the Florida market is our baseline energy price is pretty cheap, you know, compared to New York and California. Uh, residential energy prices here are about 12 cents per kilowatt hour. And so there really isn't enough uh, savings to support a sales organization, a distribution uh, company, a third-party engineering company, uh, subcontracted uh, labor so really, we figure that we have to do everything you know, for quality and to be able to drive down uh, prices by minimizing multiple overheads of multiple organizations. Yeah, it's interesting. And as we see the compression of margin, because solar is becoming more viable in states where, like Florida and South Carolina, the avoided cost of energy is 12 cents or less, 
Uh, it challenges the notion of how really, I don't think it challenges the notion of the amount of margin available for historically very well-paid sales partners in, in the channel. I think right now, one of the things the industry is struggling with is how to reduce the overall cost required to keep salespeople out knocking doors, right? Because they tend to be incentivized with what the industry calls a red line, which essentially means this is what it costs me to build it. You can have everything else that you can sell and incentivizes the salesperson to take as much as they can get, right? Whatever the market will bear, as opposed to making it a no-brainer for the market by giving the customer an, an obvious no-brainer win-win. You're 100% right. In fact, we went through that evolution uh, ourselves. In, in our earlier days, we had that red line price, which was what we called our build rate. And so we allowed salespeople to go and sell uh, for whatever they wanted above our build rate up to a cap, of course, and then they get to keep the difference. And we saw that that just didn't work because it incentivized the salesperson to just sell for as much as they could get away with. And, and oftentimes that leads to a lot of problems. So what we changed our model to was to really focus on the customer and to focus on that no-brainer uh, purchase decision. And so we, we, we got to the conclusion that this is the price point where it makes sense for a customer to do this. And basically controlling the whole model. So this is this is a commission that it makes sense for a salesperson to do this. And this is how much we can build it for. And so we really locked in the price. And so instead of the price changing, depending on what salesperson the customer is talking to, the price is going to be exactly the same for a gold and solar project, regardless of who the salesperson is, because we have bid sheets that, you know, determine the type of roof and, and, you know, other project characteristics, but the, the price is going to be fixed. The price is always going to be the same. And it's going to be a number that makes a lot of sense to, to the homeowner. And, and there's still plenty of um, incentive for, for the salesperson to, to do well there. You mentioned Florida is starting to become more competitive. Folks are coming in from out of state. Tell me a bit about the state of the Florida market, how it's evolved from, let's call it 2017, 18 to now, and what you see happening in Florida in 2020 and beyond. Yeah, so I think that the general public is a lot more knowledgeable and accepting of solar. You know, so we did the analogy back when we started, we really just had to explain the ABCs to customers about net metering and what solar is. Nowadays, I sit down for a sales consultation and people say to me, all right, I, I, I understand the difference between all the inverters and the main major panel brands. Which products are you using? Uh, can you can you propose a tier one system size for me? So people already are asking very you know particular questions. Other than that, I think that the political climate is probably a little bit less aggressive. I think that this is probably less fought by utilities, at least at least the large publicly traded utilities. I think that the small utilities might still try to fight solar. But basically, I think I think that this is no longer something that is viewed as a trend. I think that people really see that the future is, is solar. Uh, city of South Miami requires mandatory solar on all new construction, which is very significant. City of Miami Beach requires homes above 5,000 square feet, I believe, to be uh, LEED certified and solar is part of that equation. You know, I think that, you know, maybe politicians are starting to understand that their constituents, that the general public is really into sustainability. And, you know, I think I think people are starting to encourage solar to happen instead of, uh, instead of fighting it. Another thing we're seeing in Florida that is true for states that haven't adopted a state RPS, a state uh, mandate for you know, some carbon reduction goal uh, or renewable integration goal 
is something that is also beneficial to folks like Golden Solar, the long tail of solar, the companies that aren't Sunrun and Vivint and, and other major national footprint companies, is that this is a local game. This is a bare knuckles, get in and talk to the politicians, talk to uh, the stakeholders and uh, you know the, the county supervisors to get change happening at the building code level, right? And that benefits companies like Golden. Sure, benefits other companies that can come come drop in. But when you, like Darren, have been able to get in and meet those local stakeholders and influence the modification of these policies so that they are solar friendly, you create a situation for yourself in Florida or anywhere uh, as a local provider uh, where you are benefiting from the number one sales uh, engine uh, for, for, our, for our industry, which is referrals. In this case, it can be not only referrals from your existing customers, but referrals from local people of influence who understand that you've been around, that you've been in, involved in making the decisions and helping get these policies put forth. So I commend the work that you guys have done in South Florida and the work that others uh, like you as regional players uh, are doing to ensure solar as a viable option for homeowners in their in their region. I wonder, you mentioned that homeowners now seem a lot more educated. How do you find that they are educating themselves to get to a point where they can ask you good questions? Do you ask that of them? Do you have any insight into where they're learning? No, no, no. I don't have to uh, ask them how they learned. You know, it's just, it's, it's utterly apparent when you're having a sales pitch just by the types of questions that they're asking. So someone, someone will already know that you know, FPL has a definition of a tier one and a tier two system up to 11.76 kilowatts. And so they already know what they want. I mean, back in the day, the questions that we got were just so, you know, basic. Yeah. You know, before even really understanding what solar was. I guess I'm wondering, are your competitors educating them through their proposals or are they going to websites that teach them what they need to know? Yeah, so I'm assuming that it's a combination of all of the above. I'm assuming that if I'm the second company to present to a, a homeowner, then they've already gotten a lot of the basics shown to them. But there's also nowadays there's so much information out there uh, that that I you know I think most of the lead generating companies basically to the general public are you know information and education websites. It's great for a company like yourself where you've chosen to vertically integrate not only your sales and delivery processes, but also your marketing. Any tools that you leverage that you feel position you well from a marketing perspective? I've noticed that you have a very high review rating mark in, in, the, in the marketplace. What have you seen working from a marketing perspective that, that benefits you at Golden? So what we've done is look for a lot of win-win situations. So for example, we give referrals to our customers. We, we give money to our customers if they give us a referral that materializes into a contract. So, you know, we figured people are very excited to, to get solar. That's the kind of thing that they want to, you know, blast out to the world on their social media. So not only are they saving money on their power bill, but it's a, it's a really cool thing to show on your on your Facebook page that you just went solar and pat yourself on the back. You just did something really cool. So we figured, for example, why don't we give our customers tools to you know show off what they just did? So we made drone videos for for a lot of our customers, 
and we made nice, pretty, polished drone videos with fun, inspiring music. And so we taught all of our installers how to fly drones and we're doing 360 point of interest shots and we're doing zoom out shots. And we wrote a very regimented, this is exactly all the shots that we need once the job is done for our installers to consider the, you know, the project complete. So I was part of their installation duties was to take a portfolio of pictures and videos. And then we made a nice edited video with the customer name and showing this is the carbon off uh, f- footprint that they're going to offset. And ha- this is the equivalent trees planted in a year because of this 10 kilowatt solar system. And we gave them something nice that they could put on their Facebook page and, and show the world and basically helped leverage the customer wanting to show off what they had just done with our ability to tap into their social network. The image that came to mind for me, I've got a good friend, Matt, down in South Carolina, who creates some of the most beautiful and awe-inspiring wedding videos you've ever seen. And what you just described to me, not only there are a couple of things that pop up for me, but the first is the ability to create awe around that neighborhood feeling of like, oh, you know, the Smiths just installed solar and here's this beautiful example of how they did it, which you have, part B, built into your quality assurance process. This, these installers can't leave the site until they get for you the assets that your marketing team needs to create that number one sales engine for any solar business around the world, which is a referral. That is a really brilliant move. I love it. Kudos to you. We understood that uh, buying leads is, is really dicey because the leads companies are uh, selling them to, to four or five contractors. And it just, at that point, when you're talking to a customer that is from a lead that you bought, they're, they're exhausted because they have the other five companies continuously calling them, telling them why they're the best. And it's it's just really hard for us to compete for business there. And and so we rather it be instead of customer wants to go solar now, they need to pick which company. Instead, it's about customer wants to sign a, a contract with Golden Solar because their friend that referred them is so happy with us and they just want to get a customized proposal uh, for them. But if we can demonstrate the viability, then they're in because, you know, because it's a referral, because they're coming in with a good word about us. I'd love to know what are some of the key lessons or takeaways for you from uh, the important mentors in your life, some of the lessons that you've infused now into the business that you run. So I remember in my earliest days, I went to U.S. Green Building Council galas and events and, and met some folks that had been, you know, captains in their industry in the green space, not solar, but let's say a different industry. And I remember uh, someone said to me, write a thank you card to every customer once you're done with the project and make it handwritten make it personal. And I thought, okay, that's an interesting idea. And then I actually did it. And our customers uh, loved it. So we, we got paper that had seeds infused into the paper for like wildflowers. So the idea was you read the letter and then you can plant it and, and have flowers grow. We thought it's kind of, you know, kind of, kind of cute because we're in the green space and we did that. And so for every single customer, we wrote a handwritten thank you card and basically made it about, we're going green together. We're doing our part in the planet. And, and, and I think that that was one of the things that, that I took with me and, and what it represented. It represented, this isn't just about business. This isn't just about the bottom line. This isn't just about, um, you know, scaling out and, and, trying to become a big business. This is about the product. This is about the customer. This is about the movement. And, and I think that, that that stayed with our brand, that stayed with our image for, you know, ever since. Well, not everything works in business. You've probably tried things that didn't work. You've gone down roads that you found were blocked. I'm curious, is there 
a particular dead end that has influenced the way that your business is going now, or maybe just your life? Definitely. So I think one of the big ones there was you don't have to always be the cheapest. So one of the things that we tried on was to just be known as the company that is doing this for less money than anybody else to just be the most no-brainer decision. Well, we also cared about giving the best panels and personalized engineering and personalized project management and the best inverters. And so how can you possibly offer the best products and be the cheapest? And so when we tried to do both of those things, we we found that we were just running on on fumes and and there wasn't enough, you know, skin in in the game for us to cover uh, all of our costs. And so we kind of moved away from that. I think that's something that somebody in in a finance company said to me once, find your identity in in the market. There's always going to be the company that's the cheapest. There's going to be the company that's the most expensive. And and we basically found our identity. And that is, we want to be the company that, that offers the best value. We want to find that sweet spot between cost and performance. There was a company by the name of Brevard Solar, and they were offering solar for like under $2 a watt. And, 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 and people signed up with them like crazy. We lost a ton of business to them. And their game was they went in and put the rails on before they even had a permit and then took six months to start the job. And they've been out of business now for at least half a year. So being the cheapest might get you a ton of business, but it's not necessarily a good thing. It's not going to lead you in a good place. So our takeaway was really focus on, on being healthy, being a healthy business. I always go back to what would I want if I was a customer? Well, I would want my solar contractor to be in business 10 years from now so that if I have an issue with my system, I can call them and they can take care of it. You know, I would want a company that's super accessible that's there if there's any issue that, that I need. To this day, my cell phone is, is on you know, Google and I get calls on Sundays with people telling me, hey, I have a problem with this or that. And I say, okay, thank you so much. Uh, we'll be sure to reach out to you on Monday and get that taken care of. Well, a lot of those are advice for entrepreneurs packaged in wisdom that you've gleaned. Any other advice that you might have for fellow entrepreneurs currently in the throes of startup life? So, so here's something that I said to a kid that was just graduating high school. We had done a solar system on on the parents' house, which which is a beautiful system. It's uh, the, the the mom's an architect, and so it's like a perp. It's like a, she's got a lap pool. And then it's a solar ray that's perpendicular to the lab pool that's raised on a concrete slab, you know, 10 feet in the air. So something really, something really interesting and unique. So she, she had her, her son call me and ask me for advice because he wanted to be an entrepreneur. He wanted to start a business. And what I said to him, figure out what you want to do and don't study business. Study that space. Become the most technical person in that space and the business you'll figure out. You'll figure out how to do marketing. You'll figure out how to do sales. You'll figure out how to build the relationships, but become a technical expert. And I think that that was one of the biggest things that made us stand out in the industry, that that we were engineers working as contractors. And so within the, the construction space, we really understood all the technical in and outs of our product. And, and that's, that's what helped us, you know, get permits when, when everybody else was struggling to get permits, you know, ha- have the ability to merit, uh, debate the merits of code with inspectors and reviewers. I guess I would drill down if I were that teenage student asking you, like, how, how do you define space? Is space defined by a market, like figure out automobiles, or is it defined by a skill set, like become a chemical engineer? How would you respond to that? I would define space as the movement. And the reason that I say that is because we live in the 21st century where everything moves really, really fast. Everything's really dynamic. 
And so, you know, to me, the green space is the green movement. And that could be electric vehicles, that can be living walls, that can be vertical farming, you know, that could be a lot of different things. Yeah, I get it. So figure out where you want to serve and how you can do that over a multi-decade effort and then build the skill sets to serve that to serve that part of the industry is what I hear you saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, one of the things that we've seen, especially in the last couple of months, is businesses trying to align their values with that of consumers. Consumers want to know that what they're buying or the people that they're buying from care about the things that they care about. They want to know, we've become aware. All of a sudden we've become aware. You know, people used to just be kind of, you know, blind consumers buying products because they want the product. But now consumers like the product and they want to like the values of the people that manufacture the product that they're buying. Darren, I believe that readers are leaders. I'm wondering if you have a book that you've gifted the most or that you recommend a lot and why. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. One of the books that I enjoyed a lot was 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, Yuval uh, Noah Harari. Mm-hmm. And in his other book, Homo Deus which is sort of uh, bold predictions about the future of, of humanity. Well, Darren, as we wrap here, I want to give folks a chance to, to find out more about you, maybe take a look at how you guys show up and the, the types of marketing you do. Golden Solar, how's that spelled? G-O-L-D-I-N. And is that goldensolar.com? Yeah, so our website's goldensolar.com. Golden is spelled with an I instead of an E. Fantastic. Well, we'll be linking to that as well as your LinkedIn, your Facebook page, and other ways that folks can find you uh, as we usually do in the show notes at mysuncast.com. But let's end today's conversation with a bold prediction. Darren, what one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? So what I'm really excited about is the next step in evolution uh, of what residential batteries do, and that is a virtual power plant. I think that the market Basically, the interaction between a utility and a homeowner is going to evolve where right now we basically rely on our utilities to, to provide net metering so we can buy and sell energy with them with the grid. Um, I believe that with battery backup, a homeowner can provide an additional function to the power utility, and that is with a virtual power plant to offset peak demand from peaker plants. So peaker plants are, are power plants that are the dirtiest and most expensive energy for power uh, companies to produce because they have to offset the peak demand of, of society's you know energy thirst. And one way in the future that we're going to see those peaks getting offset is with utilities tapping into people's batteries in their house. Amazing. To feed into the house instead of uh, peaker plants. And we're going to see that with residential batteries, as well as bi-directional car chargers with vehicle-to-grid technology. Well, we will certainly be tracking vehicle-to-grid and virtual power plants as they evolve for Resi and, uh, and beyond. It's an exciting time to be in the solar industry, an exciting time to have a chat with a CEO and entrepreneur who has bootstrapped his organization to become a very important member of the Sunshine State's contribution to our overall solar goals. Darren Golden, thank you so much for joining us here on Suncast. Nico, it's been uh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right, all right, Solar Warriors, that is a wrap on today's episode. And I'm sure that you are soaking in the value bombs and the insights that Darren helped bring to light as we discussed how he grew from a field position from being out building solar plants to 
an entrepreneurial role, growing his own company. So many takeaways there. I'd love to hear your takeaways. Would you share with us on LinkedIn? You could easily find on LinkedIn or Twitter how we've posted this episode. And I'd love it if you just run run to that post and say, hey, great job, Darren. Like, Give that guy some kudos. Let us know what your takeaways are. And if you'd share it with your friends and family and doctor and dog trainer, that'd be amazing too. I'd love to know that you think so highly of the show that you share it with others. Hundreds of you have reached out to us to tell us how you're growing because you listen to Suncast. So thank you so much from the bottom of our heart for tuning in. And hey, the highlights from this and every discussion, along with social media links, book recommendations, and so much more, again, are over at mysuncast.com. While you're there, take some time to check out our events, sign up for our newsletter, and even fill out our two-minute listener survey. It gives us such insight into how you enjoy Suncast and where you'd like to see us take it. And as with every week, Tuesday, we'll have another Tactical Tuesday for you. And Thursday is a long-form dive, just like this one, into the life and times of an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, or general badass in solar and clean energy so that you can glean the insights and feel like you've gotten to know yet another interesting, insightful, and awesome person in our community. I thank you and honor you, and I hope that you are going to join us for our weekly roundups for Solar Power International, that you're going to join us for Suncast Puerto Rico at suncastpr.com, and all the other ways that you can have fun playing around, getting to know our community, and taking your career ever deeper. Onward, Solar Warriors. Remember, you are what you listen to. So thanks again for showing up. It's half the battle.